Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we give you thanks for this moment. We give you thanks, my Father, for, for the hearing of your word written. And I pray that you would continue to speak to us, my Father, personally. Father, I pray that you would draw every one of us to the Son, that in him we may have eternal life. Lord Jesus, we are extremely grateful to you for all that you have done for us. Nothing that we do or say can ever repay, Father, your sacrifice. Be glorified in all ways and be exalted always. We give ourselves to you now. Teach us. In the name of Jesus, Lord, teach us. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I invite you to make use of your papers in your bulletins to take notes. Uh, I think it's in the last page of your bulletins. There is a page that is sort of left blank with uh, two or three questions there uh, so that you can uh, take notes. Um, we have been doing a series all through the month of, of August on the Nicene Creed, the creed of the church that we... Um, that we proclaim each time we have a Eucharistic service, each time we have uh, a service of, uh, of celebration of the Lord. And uh, I thought with all reality that I was going to be able to finish the whole thing today. But um, the reality is as I was preparing my sermon, I realized that just dealing with the Holy Spirit is going to take me longer than I thought was going to take me. And so um, I know, I know because at 8 o'clock I couldn't finish either. So, uh, so I know that I'm not going to be able to complete everything, but that just says that you're going to have to come back next Sunday uh, to have the, uh, the total or the complete uh, series uh, on the Nicene Creed. And um, I, I want to say that the Nicene Creed is the, the, clearest, the clearest statement of our faith that you can probably proclaim from day to day or from Sunday to Sunday. If you truly understand the Nicene Creed and the, and the meaning and the intention of the Nicene Creed, uh, it is, it is the, the, the clearest statement of our faith. Uh, it is the definitive statement of the faith of the Christian church. And I would say to you um, that anyone that cannot adhere to the teachings and the creedal statements in the Nicene Creed is probably not a Christian. Even if, if some groups may call themselves Christians, if you cannot adhere to the, to the faith as it is described in this creed, the Nicene Creed, the, 
you're not a Christian. Let me just say it without being careful or politically correct. Uh, if you do not accept the Nicene Creed, you really are not part of the Christian church. Um, you know, you may adhere to parts of it. You may be able and willing to say some parts of it. But if you do not accept the Nicene Creed, as it is said, you're in reality, you're not a Christian. And I would want you to carefully read the Nicene Creed and ask yourself, do I believe this? And don't, don't be afraid to challenge yourself. Don't be afraid to challenge yourself. Don't be afraid to say, I have a struggle with this passage here, or I have a struggle with this line. I need to find out some more about it. Because it's extremely important. It is the unequivocal statement of faith of the church of Jesus Christ. So, um, we have done already uh, three parts of the Nicene Creed. And what we have said so far, what we have said is that we believe in one God. We believe in only one God and no other God. In fact, I love the reading today from Joshua where they are entering the promised land and Joshua tells the people to choose this day who they're going to believe. The God of their fathers before they crossed the Jordan and before they crossed the Red Sea, or the God of that the were of the Egyptians. You decide. But he says, but as for me and my house, I have settled it already. I know in whom I will believe, and I know who my family will follow, and who I will teach to my children, my grandchildren. That is settled in my heart. You choose today who you will believe, because he is a holy and a jealous God. Don't try to come before him saying that you believe when you truly don't believe. Don't say today you believe, and tomorrow you're worshiping some other God, because he's a jealous and holy God. So be very careful. That's what the reading today was uh, from Joshua. So we have said that we believe in one God who is the Father, the Almighty, and the Creator of all. Nothing that has ever been created, whether visible or invisible, whether living or inanimate, everything that has ever been created has its origin in God. By his will, it has been created. The second thing we said in parts two and three of the Sermon of the Creed is we say that we believe in one Lord, one Lord and God, because we stated that Jesus is God. We believe in one Lord and God, Jesus Christ. And I explained to you, last week in particular, I explained to you the two natures of Christ the divine nature of Christ, and the human nature of Christ. And one of the things I said to you is that you can never divide, you can never separate the two natures of Christ, that he is God and divine and fully human as you and I are human. He descended from heaven where he was with the Father, and he did not see it as robbery to be equal with God, and he took the form of a servant. He took the form of a man, of a human. He took the form of a human so that he could die for all humans, all of them. 
An angel could not understand what we humans go through. Any other creature or any other animal could not understand the meaning of temptation and the meaning of struggle in this life. So Jesus becomes fully, completely man in every way, in every respect, and he understood and identified completely with us as to what it meant to be human, what it meant to suffer, what it meant to be tempted, what it meant to bleed, what it meant to thirst, what it meant, all of it, to be betrayed, to be abandoned, like we read in the gospel today. Jesus becomes fully man in one person, the person of Jesus Christ, and you cannot divide the two natures of Christ, divinity and humanity. So you can never say that when Jesus does miracles, that's his God part. And when Jesus suffers on the cross, that's his human part. You can never do that. That is heretical. That is wrong teaching and false teaching. He who does the miracle is the God-man, and he who dies on the cross is the God-man. Always indivisible, the two natures of Christ. So we, we taught, I taught you on the longer section of the creed, which is the section of Jesus Christ. And the third thing that I have said to you so far is that we believe in the Holy Trinity. We believe in the Holy Trinity. We believe that God is infinite. And that is so important because some of us have still the idea in the back of our heads of this old man sitting in the throne somewhere in heaven with a long beard, and we're willing to say he's eternal, but we don't realize he's infinite. He cannot be bounded by a human body. He cannot have the limits of, of a human body. Our God, even when I go like this and, and I say, in God... I'm already limiting him because my arms cannot stretch far enough. Just stretch that into infinity, and now you have an idea who God is. Okay, so when we say that God is triune or that God, we believe in the Trinity, we are saying that our God is infinite, without form or limit or boundaries that define him. This universe and multi-universe and whatever has been created beyond the reach of man, God is already beyond that in infinite uh, being. Okay? Within that limit, unlimited and, and unbounded being that God is, within that exists three that are the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all three of them share the same essence, the same substance, the sameness of what it means to be God. In my human terms, I call it the DNA of God, the DNA of God, and that's purely human speaking. The DNA of God is shared only by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three of them are one God in existing from eternity in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three divine and all three God. And, and there is a picture that is 
gives you an idea, but of course it has the limitations of the lines and the boundaries. So like all analogies I can give you about the Trinity, they all fall apart at one time or another because it's, it's a mystery that is greater than our understanding and even of our ability to write it down and to, and to draw it or anything like that. So we have dealt with the Father, we have dealt with the Son, and today I want to deal with the Holy Spirit. And, and we want to deal with that last portion of the Nicene Creed where it reads, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That's how we end the creed each time that we say it. Now, one of the things that becomes important to me is that some of you, and I certainly did at one time, some of you would be wondering why at the end of the creed we seem to throw everything on that last statement. You know, the church, the baptism, the forgiveness of sins. It's like we want to close a nice increase, so we throw everything in there, and this is what we believe. The reality is that all that we say there is dependent on the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why it is grouped there at the end under the block of we believe in the Holy Spirit. The church being one being holy, being Catholic, being apostolic, it's because it found its birth in the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that gives birth to the church. It is the Holy Spirit that is present in baptism. It is the Holy Spirit that draws us to Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit through, through, through we come to Jesus and receive the repentance of our sins. It is through the Holy Spirit that our faith is formed and informed in all of us so that we come to the faith in the resurrection and the hope and the assurance of the life to come. That's why all of it is grouped under the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Each of those statements are dependent on the ministry and the person and the works in us and in the world of the Holy Spirit. So that's why they're listed in the way that they're listed there. I have said this every one of the sermons in the last, the last three weeks. We say several times in the creed the, statements, the statement, we believe. We believe. And sometimes we can take that for granted. And we just say we believe. And we move on to what it is we believe in. To me, we believe is one of the most strongest statements that we can, that we can make. We believe. Here I stand. Here I stand against any other belief. Here I stand rejecting anything I may have believed in the past. Here I stand rejecting anything and every other teaching possibly out there in the world. I stand in this faith. 
I believe. This is my faith. And I will not move from here. This is the faith of the Bible. The Old Testament, the New Testament. This is my faith. We believe. And I couldn't make it stronger for you to, to receive how passionate I am to those words. We believe. I stand here. I'm movable. I stand in my faith in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. I stand in my faith in the resurrection. I stand in my faith in the world to come. I stand in the forgiveness of my sins. I stand on the cross of Jesus. I stand. Here I stand, unmovable. And I will not be moved by any other doctrine or any other teaching or any other teacher. Here I stand. And I, I just want to convey that to you in the strongest sense. When you say you believe, be strong about what you believe. Don't be confused and don't let anyone or friends or teachers on the radio or TV or anywhere else move you from the faith that you have. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So we, we start there. We believe. We believe. When we say we believe, we should be willing to sacrifice everything else for that statement that we're about to say. And the first thing that we say is that we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit? Well, clearly it is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. In the Bible, we find him uh, all over the place as referred to as the Spirit of God. Sometimes it is referred as the Spirit. Uh, but in the New Testament primarily, the New Testament primarily, we find it referred to him often with the words the Holy Spirit. But it is the Spirit of God. You have a human spirit. You have a spirit that was created in you and with you the moment that you were created. God has his spirit. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that no one knows the secret of man or a woman except the spirit of that man or that woman. And no one knows the secrets of God as the spirit of God. And then he says, and we have received that spirit, the spirit of Christ in us, revealing to us who the Father is, revealing to us the will of God, revealing to us who he is making us to be. We have the Spirit of God. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is found in the Bible from the very beginning of the Bible. The moment that God is mentioned, the Holy Spirit is mentioned together with God. As you can read in Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Before man was created, before one herb was created, before the sun was created, before the moons were created, before anything was created, the Holy Spirit already was eternal with the Father and was the Spirit of God. That is the spirit in whom we believe. 
not any other spirits, and there may be many other spirits in the world, as the Bible tells us that there are many. We believe in one, and our allegiance is to one spirit, the spirit of the living God. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the spirit that was present throughout the Old Testament. The spirit that God would convey upon priest and prophet, upon the priest, the prophet, and the kings. Because when God wanted a king to rule and serve his people in the manner that he wanted, he would anoint that king with the ability to know him. And the Spirit of God was put upon Saul and was put upon David, and they immediately began to prophesy. Because God, whenever he wanted to guide his people, he would give his spirit. When he wanted a prophet to speak for him, he would give him his spirit. When he wanted a priest to serve for him at the altar in the temple of the tabernacle, he would anoint him with the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you read in Exodus that God wanted to build the tabernacle, and he wanted to build the Ark of the Covenant, and he wanted to build each of the pieces that would serve to glorify him and praise him, he would give the Holy Spirit to, his, to the workers so that not only was he giving them instructions as to how to build, he would give them his spirit so that they build it precisely the way God intended it to be built. And once the building was completed, then that spirit would be withdrawn from those workers. But God wanted to direct how things were being built and how things were being done for him. And he would anoint with, he would anoint the priest and the prophets, and the kings to serve in his name and under his authority. This is the spirit in which we believe. We believe in that Holy Spirit that was poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost. That spirit that gave birth to the church. The spirit that came upon the disciples, and after the disciples, everyone else that believed and put their faith in Jesus Christ received that Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God shed in the church, and upon the church, and within the church. We believe in that Holy Spirit that is still given to the church today. We believe in that Holy Spirit that God is still pouring in the heart of everyone who comes to faith in Jesus. Inspiring. Transforming. Let me, let me tell you this. When you become a Christian and you notice the transformation that is happening in your life, the ways in which God begins to be more important for you, the way in which you begin to abhor sin more and more, the way that you become hungrier for God's word, the more, the more that you worship God, the more you want to worship him, is not a product of your own desire. It is the Holy Spirit transforming you to desire and hunger and thirst after your Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit poured upon you will draw you to the Son and will draw you to the Word of God and will draw you to God. 
The Holy Spirit is in the process of transforming all of us and rearranging our passions and rearranging our hopes and rearranging everything that we find important. All of a sudden, God is more important than anything else. We know because we have experienced this transformation and we're still experiencing it in our lives. This is the Holy Spirit that we believe in, the Spirit that inspires, the Spirit that transforms, the Spirit that guides God's people, the Spirit that empowers, the Spirit that equips for ministry. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to share with you that the original creed the creed that was put together at the Council of Nicaea in 325 ended at that point. It ended with the statement, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and it ended there. And the reason it ended there is that the whole purpose of the Council of Nicaea was to clarify and affirm the relationship between the Father and the Son. It wasn't an issue of of understanding the Holy Spirit. So it spent a lot of time discussing the relationship biblically between the Father and the Son. And they concluded the creed by simply saying, but we believe, we believe in the Holy Spirit. That's where it ended. However, as it has been what happens in the church often, heresies arise. And heresies are what sometimes force the church to have to define with clarity what is it that it believes. And I already told you on a couple of heresies that were what led us to the Nicene uh, Council, uh, the, the Arian controversy, uh, the Gnostic controversy, the Ebionite controversy. I, I shared uh, those things with you before. Well, there is another heresy that arises coming from a bishop in Constantinople. And it is a heresy where this bishop begins to attack and deny the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And that heresy was actually known, it was in Constantinople, but it was known as Pneumatomachian controversy. Pneuma, the word Pneuma for spirit. Okay, for spirit. The Pneumatomachian controversy where this bishop, it was also known as the Macedonian controversy or heresy, not because it originated in Macedonia, but because the bishop was known, or his name was Macedonius. So it was the Macedonian controversy or the Macedonian heresy. It was also known as the, um, as the semi-Aryan, semi-Aryan heresy or semi-Aryan controversy. You see, sometimes heretics within the church, they don't always intend bad, okay? But in order to protect what they believe is the unity of God or to protect God from being, you know, something else, they, they begin to deny another part of the scripture and the revelation. And the problem with heretics is they don't, they don't listen well. 
You know, even when the church gets together and, and, and brings clarity, they still are so staunch in their own ways that they will not accept the teachings of the church or the teachings of the other bishops. This particular bishop was like that. And he, he just began to teach that the Holy Spirit was not God. And he took another council, the Council of Constantinople in 381 A.D., in 381, the church was forced to come together again to deal with this issue of the controversy of the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And it defined with clarity who the Holy Spirit is. And that's how we come to that portion that we have now in the Nicene Creed. There was another council that, that came later, which was called the Council of Toledo. I think it was in 450s. I don't remember the date. And that dealt with the issue of whether the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son, or did it proceed only from the Father? But I'll deal with that in, in a moment. But heresies, one of the good things about heresies if there can be found anything good about heresies, because let me tell you, heresies kill. And people start believing the wrong things about God, and they can go in a tangent. So heresies are not things to be laughed about. But one of the things about heresies is that it forces the church to state cl clearly what is it that it believes. And it causes the church to have to go through Scripture and to have to look at what Scripture says about that particular subject. And then define what it means and, and why it, it means it. So the next statement that the church makes is that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And it says that He is the Lord. The Lord. Meaning that He is God. Because the term Lord was used for Jesus in the first statement. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. And it is also used of God the Father throughout the Old Testament. Now it is use of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, one Lord. How do we, how do we see this in Scripture? I want to share with you a couple of passages. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, 18. Paul writes and he says, now the Lord is the Spirit. That's an important statement. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Lord is the Spirit. So the term Lord is applied here by Paul to the Holy Spirit. And then a passage that I really love, and I, I let you take a look at it, and you decide what it says. But Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? It's talking about God. So is it your spirit that I'm fleeing from? Or is it your presence, the presence of God, that I'm fleeing from? The reality is we cannot flee from the presence of the Holy Spirit who is God with us wherever we are. That's in Psalm 139. And I want to share with you another verse from the book of Acts. This one you may be a little familiar with. In the book of Acts, one of the things that the early church did is that the early church would sell all their properties and bring them to, to feed the hungry in the church and to do good things. 
And some people were selling their properties and their houses, bringing them to the, the feet of the apostles. And there was this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira decided that they were going to sell the property, but they were going to say to the disciples that they had brought all of the proceeds from the sale, when in fact they had pocketed a certain amount. And this is what Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart, and notice this in yellow, to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to God, but you have not lied to men, but to God. Now up on top it says that they had lied to the Holy Spirit. And now it says that they have lied to God. Why? Because they are both the same. The Holy Spirit is God. And lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God the Father and God the Son. And lying to God the Son and to God the Father is lying to the Holy Spirit. These are just three passages of the many that I can quote to you where the Holy Spirit is clearly identified as God. As God the Father and God the Son. As God. One God in three different persons. The next thing that is said is that we believe that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. The giver of life. I think we understand the giver of life in two ways. One is that the Holy Spirit is what God breathed, the breath of God upon clay, Adam and Eve, and they become a living being. Back in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 2 it says, And the Lord God formed man in the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the bread of life, and man became a living being. The Ruah. The breath, Holy Spirit, spirit is the word for breath, is the word for, for wind, it is the word for spirit, same word. And then we find in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, that Paul defending uh, the Holy Spirit, he says, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So when we say that we believe that the Holy Spirit gives life, we are saying that the Holy Spirit not only gives life at the beginning of creation, and that life is in the Holy Spirit, but also that the Holy Spirit gives life to the new man, to the new woman, when they come to faith. Even today, when the gospel was being read, Jesus himself says that the Spirit gives life, but the flesh kills. You look at it, John that was read today as the gospel. The flesh kills, but the spirit gives life. So we believe in a Holy Spirit that gives us life. Gives us life. Then the next statements that are made is that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. And then sometimes in, in parentheses, it says, and the Son. That is what's called the filioque. The filioque, which was finalized at the Council of Toledo. However, I want you to understand why it's in parentheses. 
It's in parentheses because the Eastern Orthodox Church never accepted that the Holy Spirit proceeds, which, by the way, is very similar to the word that we use for Jesus when we say that Jesus is begotten. The Holy Spirit is not begotten, but the Holy Spirit proceeds from that God, the God that is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes from God. And the Eastern Church have always affirmed that that's as far as they want to go. That the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. The Western Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and all the Western churches don't have a problem accepting the idea. Because there are a number of passages in Scripture where Jesus says, I will go to the Father and I will send the Holy Spirit. There's a number of passages where Jesus declares that he will send the Holy Spirit. The closest the Oriental Church or the Church of the, uh, uh, like the Orthodox, Greek Orthodox and all of that, they will not have a problem if all we said was he proceeds from the Father through the Son. They wouldn't have a problem with that. In fact, they accept that. And it's in parentheses because you may be sitting right next to a person that when they say the creed, they say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and then stops there. We, I don't have a problem with saying that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the full Trinity, from the Father and the Son. So I, 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 when I say the creed, that's what I believe. And then we say next, that the Holy Spirit, that who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Now, I don't need to explain that too much. If the Holy Spirit is God, as we have already stated it, then we don't have any problem saying that, that the Holy Spirit, together with the Father and the Son, is, is worshipped and glorified. And then the last statement made about the Holy Spirit is that he has spoken through the prophets. Well, the Holy Spirit is what inspired the prophets. The Holy Spirit of God spoke through the prophets because the people of God needed direction. By the way, you need to learn this. God never raised a prophet unless the people were in trouble. Okay? Whenever the people of God had gone array, whenever the people of God had begun to worship other gods, whenever the people of God were doing things that were not right, God would raise, raise a prophet. He would raise a prophet, and he would, his Holy Spirit would be about that prophet, and the work of the prophet was to call the people back to repentance, whether it was a Jeremiah, whether it was an Ezekiel, whether it was a, a Elijah, whether it was Elisha. When God needed someone to take his place to speak to the people in their language, face to face, God would raise a prophet, anoint him with the word, and the Holy Spirit would give that prophet that that was to be said. So it is the Holy Spirit that speaks to the prophet to call him to repentance. It is the Holy Spirit that calls a prophet and gives him what to say to bring him back to righteousness and to God. But it is also the Holy Spirit through the prophets that prophesied Jesus. The prophets pointed to Jesus. The prophets pointed constantly to one that was coming who was the Messiah 
who was the anointed one of God, the chosen one of God, the prophets constantly inspired by the Spirit pointed to Jesus as the Savior. The Holy Spirit would give wording to the prophets to announce the coming of one that would be the Savior of the world, one born of a virgin who would be mighty counselor, everlasting God, eternal Father, as Isaiah spoke, the Father of eternity. The Holy Spirit speaks through the prophets, and I believe with all my heart that the same Holy Spirit can speak to you and through me, but never contrary to what the Word of God says. That's, that's the litmus test. Anyone that stands up and says, the Spirit is telling me, if it doesn't go by the Word of God, that is possibly very false prophecy. Very, very, very possibly false prophecy. God has spoken through His Word. God has caused His Word to be inspired and written, and He will not deny what is already written. So we believe in that Holy Spirit. And as you can tell, I can't finish today. Next week, you're going to have to come back, and I will teach you on why the church is one, and what does it mean that the church is one? It's holy, it's Catholic, it's apostolic. Why do we believe in the resurrection from the dead, and so on and so on. And So next week, uh, I will conclude, for sure, God willing, the Nicene Creed. And you can all go back to all the sermons that I've preached on this, so that you can put together what it is that we believe at the exclusion of any other teaching that you may encounter in your life. Again, here I stand, unmovable, in one faith, in one God, in one Lord Jesus Christ, one Holy Spirit. And so I'd like to invite you to stand with me, please.